This episode of the Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tomes, Amazon, and DMs Guild affiliate links, and for becoming patrons over at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. Let me answer your questions or clear up all your misconceptions. Stay right there, let me answer your questions or clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 292... Yeah, that, no, no, number 294, oh man, 294, we're going to step deep under the city of Waterdeep to find one of its longest lasting crime lords and see what we can learn as we review Xanathar's Guide to Everything. You will notice that Tracy is not here with me due to family obligations, but I am not alone. Joining me first up uh, is the from the Tome Show social media team is the social media manager and regular guest on the show, Ishmael Alvarez. Welcome back. Howdy. And also a regular feature on the show uh, and the host of the new, uh, the fantastic new Monstrous Ecologist show you may have heard here on the feed, my friend and yours. Welcome back, Jeremiah McCoy. Any hints on what we're going to hear coming up on The Ecologist? Well, I thought I might do a bit on the Tarrasque. Mmm. Bring in some, some Godzilla. Bit of kaiju. Involvement there. There you go. There you go. Uh, And lastly, the better half, although don't tell Sheen I said that, of the Total Party Thrill podcast, a fantastic D and D focused podcast. I bring you Ishan Sherwood. Welcome, sir. How you doing, everyone? And don't tell Shane, but we all know you're the you're the better half, right? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. No one really ever talks to him. I don't (laughs) talk to him. We're not friends. But 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 you're great podcasters together. Maybe it's that tension that comes through and, and really plays well. Like Penn and Teller, I agree. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about Xanathar's Guide to Everything, the latest of the Wizards of the Coast produced books. Uh, they often like to sort of in between the new storylines give us a little something to chew on to, to make our add to our games and and hopefully make it better. Uh, this time it's a book chock full of new character options and a few toys for the DM as well. In many ways, it's a kitchen sink splat book, if you will, if those are terms that mean something to you, that is, Uh, in in that it's kind of a, it's not really a thematic or story-driven book, it's just a bunch of new options, Uh, rules, rules clarifications, uh, class builds, racial feats, all this kind of stuff. Uh, Much of it was playtested through the Unearthed Arcana articles over at the Wizards website over the last few years since 5th edition came out. Uh, Before we dive into the actual book review, though, I want to say thank you to our patrons with Patreon talking about changing their fee structure recently. I was a little worried we were going to lose some patrons, uh, and we lost, you know, a couple, but um, for the most part, everybody stuck with us, and even those couple that left ended up coming back. So that's awesome, and now Patreon has announced that they're not going to make those changes, that they were a mistake, uh, and so that's awesome. So thank you all for sticking with us as they sorted out their mess. Uh, I particularly want to thank... Are our great patrons like Keith Bryan, Stephen Robertson, Leonard Pelletier. I, I'm, I'm going to keep pronouncing that name differently until I just have an epiphany that I got it right. Uh, Jeremiah McCoy, who's on the show tonight. Matt Bible, Doug Palmer, Mark Richman. Uh, all of you have been there for us through thick and thin. And that makes you and all the other patrons the most supportive audience in podcasting. All right. 
Now to get into Xanathar's Guide to Everything, uh, I want to first, uh, in full, in, in an effort for full disclosure, let people know that I did not pay for my book. Wizards of the Coast sent me a review copy. In fact, they sent me a review, co a review copy of both covers, the, the special edition cover as well, which I then shipped off to Tracy so she could have something to... To look at as well, because uh, she never gets any of the, the free stuff. And then, so I figured I'll give her the nice one. So anybody else need to talk about free stuff they got, or are we all good? We are good. Yeah, no free yeah. stuff here. All right, all right. So let's start off. Uh, I want to know, what it, what is this book? Xanathar's Guide to Everything. I gave kind of a brief introduction uh, a, a bit ago, but, but what's here? What's this about? What do you think? Who's got an idea? I would say that it is the logical successor to the classic first edition Unearthed Arcana. Mm. It is largely player-facing options with a few uh, sections for DM tools as well. Uh, and it is presented in a very similar manner. Okay, so for people who aren't grognards... Uh, <laughs> what does uh, the, the the spiritual successor or the natural successor of the uh, old Unearth Arcana book? What does that mean? Well, it's a, an expansion of rules that are not required, but provide extra options that uh, make uh, you know more of a mosaic of possibilities mm. for your players. Okay. So it's, so it's largely a book of new options. Uh, and, and my recollection for Unearthed Arcana, um, and my recollection is not strong, uh, is that it was largely like modular sort of options. Like if you want a, a game that includes more of this kind of stuff, throw this in. If you want a game that includes more of this kind of stuff, throw this rule, these rules options in. Uh, whereas this book feels more like uh, just you said you wanted more options for your characters. Here's a bunch of new class builds. You know, here's a bunch of new feats. Here's, a, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it feels less modular in that way for the most part. Um, was that, is that fair or am I remembering Unearthed Arcana wrong? Um, I don't know if anybody else remembers it uh, as well as I do because <laughs> I'm old. But um, the... Uh, the, the book had it was also the introduction of the Cavalier. It was the introduction of the Thief Acrobat. Mm -hmm. It introduced a bunch of new class options and new spells and new magic items, um, which is why I say this is like the spiritual successor. Sure. That's fair. Yeah, I'd say one difference, though, is, um, you know, the old Unearthed Arcana books, they kind of came with this big caveat of, hey, use it your own risk. This is just sort of like stuff we want to try as, as designers. And like, maybe you think it's cool. Um, whereas Xanathar specifically, you know, it's built off of the um, weekly and then monthly Unearthed Arcanas that Wizards has been putting out. But it is much more heavily play tested. So mm -hmm. what you're getting in Xanathar's is like... Um, fully play-tested, fully fleshed-out material that should be balanced enough to use in your game without throwing it off. We can talk about the quality of the material a bit later, uh, but like, I wouldn't worry about using this stuff. Like, It's, for lack of a better term, core. Yeah, it's play-tested uh, to the point that they didn't have to throw out any caveats like they did on the original Earth Arcana, right? Mm, right. They, can, they can say, that this is all totally playable, nothing's going to break your game. Sure. And I think that's fair. Um, yeah, it's a little less experimental. And, and in, in fact, you know, uh, Jeremiah mentioned that, you know, in Unearthed Arcana, there were a bunch of new classes, not just class options, not just new ways to build the, the existing classes, but completely new classes. 
Um, whereas this doesn't do that, right? This is just saying, here's a bunch of new builds for the classes that already exist. So it kind of goes out on a little bit less of a limb. Although there were some builds uh, in the original Arnold Arcana, right? Uh, it didn't... Classes didn't work that way back right. then. Right. <laughs> I suppose that's true. That's true. So it's a, it's hard. It's a, an apples and oranges comparison, I suppose. Yeah. They, that makes they, sense. They're very similar, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, I, if I play a thief after a bat in first edition, it's not a, a build of thieves. Right. It's a separate thing. So a lot of this book is also like reprinted material. Uh, I guess I don't know how much a lot. Some of this book is reprinted material um, from pre that was from published adventures. Like a lot of the spells and things um, were were taken out of uh, previously published adventures and things, uh, as well as, of course, a lot of it was coming from Unearthed Arcana, which was made publicly and freely available in the past. How do we feel about the reprinting of material that, that is in this book? So I would say there's a couple different kinds of reprinted material in Xanathar's. Mm -hmm. First is you've got the new subclasses. Um, you've got, what, 20-ish, uh, 25-ish actually yeah, new subclasses. Um, and I like that they are reprinted because they're also updated. Because mm. a lot of the times um, they were very clear that when these subclasses first came out in Unearthed Arcana, they were just sort of throwing things at the wall, seeing how people liked it. And I think purposefully they were tweaking things either very powerful or very weak and just seeing if people noticed that or really cared about it. Mm -hmm. And you can see that they definitely pulled things much more into the center for the most part with the subclasses. Uh, another type, though, is um, material for GMs that seems to be essentially straight-up reprinted. Um, that's like the complex traps in, in the center. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think people who already had the Unearthed Arcana versions might be like, oh, why do I have like 40 pages of a book I paid for that has this info? At the same time, though, all of that kind of info is actually is really good. And if you haven't seen it before, it's very useful to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I, I, I particularly noticed um, when I got into the spells that there's a lot of stuff there that's just straight out of, you know... Um, elemental out, evil. Out of elemental evil and that kind of yeah. stuff, right? Um, and I guess I don't know... I guess I, in terms of if you're going to do like the Adventures League sort of uh, play where you're allowed to use core books plus one, making this your plus one where you can add in those spells without having to add, you know, uh, but still have the other options available in here, I suppose is useful. Um, but I'm not, I mean, I guess it's fine. I don't mind that it's there. Um, I don't mind that I have those spells in multiple books because it makes them easier to find. You know, I, I'd rather not have to look through that entire, um, that the adventure for spells and this for spells and the player's handbook for spells. If I just had two books that I know those spells are going to be in, um, that suits some needs that I have anyway. Um, so but, I, guess but I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I will say one thing that kind of irks me, though, is you're right. We get some reprints, and I think specifically that's for Adventures League, so you can do book plus one. Right. But uh, if you look at, like, Swashbuckler or Mastermind, those were things that were originally published in Sword Coast Adventures Guide, which a lot of mm. people already bought, mm -hmm. which means you are double paying for those things. Mm. Yeah, and that's true, because Sword Coast Adventures Guide was, uh, it was sort of the in-between adventures book like this one you know where you're you were trying to get some new cool options and that kind of stuff so, uh, yeah, I, exactly. I, I, although well, they did oh, i'm sorry 
No, I just was going to say, I have to imagine that that's a concession for people who have no interest in Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. Because as they, as they repeatedly mention, Wizards will tell us that many people just don't play in Forgotten Realms, and mm -hmm. uh, they might be trying to just saturate things for the people who aren't. Which is, I, I, which is ironic that they chose to say, hey, here's a concession for the people who aren't fan of the realms. Instead, buy this book named after a major character in the realms. <laughs> well, the, they also um, they updated the classes, uh, some uh, from the ones that were in uh, there. The, the mm. Storm Sorcerer, for instance, is a little different in this than he is in uh, the, the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide. So, so some of that may be just them doing some updates personally i'm not a i'm not bothered by the fact that it has reprints of material that was in the unarched arcana like the thieves right. or the, the 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 traps because while i read those things there are going to be a lot of people who didn't mm -hmm. uh they are just going to buy the the core books and run with what's in the core books a lot of people don't buy the, uh, all of the adventures I have an interest in doing it because I do reviews and I, I, I write about stuff, but your average guy, you know, your average gamer may not do those things. Mm -hmm. So they don't maybe don't pick up every adventure that comes out. So having a, a core, here's a bunch of options that maybe have been presented before, but, and we're tweaking them here, um, has a little more weight for those people who are not devouring everything that comes out. And when you say they're tweaking some of these things that are reprinted, uh, how much like how much of a tweak is it? Like, is it a reimagining or is it like a, a applying the errata sort of tweaking? Um, the Storm Sorcerer uh, changed a lot of its thematics, uh, in particular, mm -hmm. and um, they did do some tweaking of like some of the mechanics on some of the uh, presentations here. Not a lot. Uh, and it certainly could uh, be read as, you know, here's the eroded version. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I think uh, I know at least one of my friends was deeply irritated with the Storm Sorcerer in here because he, he preferred the one that was in the Sorcos Adventurer's Guide. So, okay. Always going to happen. <laughs> Well, and depending on the DM, you might say, you know, use whatever. Because not everything in the Sword Coast Adventures Guide is reprinted here. Uh, so clearly they felt fine with the way, what is it, the, the Undying Pact uh, for Warlocks worked in Sword Coast Adventures Guide because they didn't redo it and tweak it here. Sure. Um, so there's some things that, that hold true. So, um, you know, that book is still a viable option in your DM if you wanted to play that Storm Sorcerer. I, I suppose you could ask to do so. Yeah, on the other hand, I would I would tell GMs, don't let your players play the Unearth Arcana versions of subclasses that are appearing in Xanathar. Oh, yeah. Definitely, no, no. definitely update the new ones. Yeah, if you're, if it's an Unearth, because Unearth Arcana is, is uh, by definition, playtest material, right? Um, it's, it's intentionally, as I think you mentioned, Ishan, not... Um, not balanced, right? Sometimes they've up-balanced it or down-balanced it or whatever, uh, intentionally, it seems. Um, whereas this is clearly a more refined, more playable version of all of that stuff. So I think that's fair. 
So we've started talking class options, and I think that's an area where um, a lot of the interest in this book lies. So let's go ahead and just continue rolling through into that. Let's talk about the class options. Um, there, are, there are new builds for every single class. I think every class gets at least two new builds. Several of them get three new builds, with the exception of Wizard, which only gets one. But in fairness, like Wizard already had like a ton of builds with all the different schools of magic, right? True. Absolutely. So, so what do we? What what are our thoughts on these new builds generally? How much? Uh, just overall, before we dig into any specifics, uh, overall, how how much of a what kind of addition do these new things, new options create? Are they are they welcome additions? Um, you know, are there are they driving new story? What do we think? Uh, and let's start with Ishmael because he we haven't heard from much from him yet. <laughs> so um, I think that they've really been exploring a lot of story based options. They kind of want to play up. A lot of the story elements that people have been seeing in, in the live play videos and what have you mm. uh but you also see a lot of return to kind of some old uh concepts like uh you know your cavalier your samurai your mm -hmm. arcane on archer things that people have very likely been complaining that they haven't been able to do which is a fair point uh because these were kind of staples uh you know in previous editions they were usually available uh, by the time the Dungeon Master's Guide was out, or, you know, at the very least within a few years, uh, we're, what, year three into the into 5th edition? And uh, a lot of them had not been available until now, except for, you know, uh, third-party publishers maybe putting out their versions of them, but uh, they were... Right. And they weren't available for Adventures League, and they weren't usually available for, you know, Dungeon Masters who weren't uh, too keen on third-party. But no, I think... These are all welcome additions. I can't really look at any one and be like, that's a dumb option. Mm. <laughs> uh, most of them are very welcome. And although some of them are, are a little too thematically uh, far leaning, um, like I, I could see the, the Berserker, um, what it does, the Zealot being like a very specific story. Mm -hmm. um, you can always fine tune the, the kind of the idea of it and make it work for other things. I, I think they're all awesome. Well, um, I, th and I think that's generally like, I found that the options tended to go one of two ways, uh, and I think this is kind of what you're speaking to, is that they're either like really specific corner cases, you know, mm -hmm. uh, of this is not going to be a thing that, that is very common, but, you know, if you wanted to build this one thing, then we have that option, right? Um, you know, things like the... the um, like the the celestial warlock pact, like that's not going to be a thing that happens very often, uh, and it's especially weird because like there's already a lot of divine classes that fill some of those roles, um, mm -hmm. but that's a thing that could happen. You know, uh, storm sorcery or shadow magic is not going to be. It's they're kind of corner cases. They're not going to cover a lot of the you know the world population in terms of like the settings that you're playing in. Um, but you know, characters are by definition unique, and so. Um, it might cover this weird thing that you want to do with your character. Um, but, I mean, if you want to cover every weird thing that players want to do with their characters, you got to make a lot of those kinds of builds, right? And then there's the other ones that feel like... And, and maybe it's because they're trying to convert older edition um, classes and options, uh, which, which I, is something I guess I didn't immediately think of. But as I look through the, the more, I guess, generic... Um, non-corner case, non-specific weird things. Um, 
it, it does occur to me that most of those were things I recognize from previous editions. And so maybe that's what they're doing because there's a lot of them where it's like this isn't a class that's – or a class build that's telling a story. This is a class build that's filling a mechanical role, uh, which was a very like fourth edition-y almost – and even into third edition sort of thing to do, right? We're producing so much stuff that we just have to fill the roles that we haven't filled yet and try to find a way to make it make sense. You know, um, So there, it, it, there, are, there are moments like that when I'm reading through the, the, the builds and I'm thinking – is this really something that's helping me tell a story, or is this just a collection of abilities? I think that there is something to be said for uh, it being... Uh, several of the class options here are, like you said, uh, re- revisiting old things, mm-hmm. like uh, the Arcane Archer, the Cavalier, the Samurai, and all that. Uh, the Inquisitive, to a certain extent, um, and, and the War Wizard. And then there is there are the few options that seem like we're playing with what is possible hmm. like the celestial warlock is is more like a proof of concept class option than anything else it's like it wasn't that there was a huge demand for i want to play a a warlock that's tied to some sort of celestial power it wasn't like there was a huge draw for that but it does show, hey, you can do some weird things here with warlocks that maybe you didn't think about. Sure, but that almost feels like it needed to be, you know, like they did with the, there was a, in the DMG, there's a, the section on like, here's how you build a new race if you wanted to build a new race. They could have done, done something like that and built up the the celestial warlock with that as an example of how to build your own stuff, but... You know, then then it also then bec- like you're encouraging people to build stuff that in, in organized play they can't use. Of course, that doesn't bother me because I don't play organized play, but I also yeah. don't have time to build classes. So, well, it's a neat. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that for the record, I kind of want to play a celestial warlock. So, <laughs> it, oh. it 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 seems like a really kind of a, a neat idea. I wouldn't have thought of it, and uh, after looking at it, going, you know that. That seems pretty cool. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of I don't know, I'm inspired by some of them too, right? Because because they come with a story, and I like classes that have story built into them. And Mike Merles uh, said as much to me. I think there was a Gen Con several years ago when Fifth Edition was like a year or two old, uh, and he talked about how you know I wish our classes built had more story built into them. And there's some cases where he's done that here, or the team has done that here. He's only one of the two lead designers. Um, but there's other cases where where it it's like okay, it's not doing that right. It's just sort of a well, we needed to fill the arcane archer and the cavalier sort of pastiche. Yeah, I actually just built a celestial warlock for a game I just started playing in, and it was actually really difficult to be like, okay, wait, I need a backstory where this this guy wouldn't be a divine soul and wouldn't be a cleric. And like, how how do I like <laughs> connect him to a deity? But like, they make a pack. Oh man, this is this is complicated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I ended up having to like dig through old Planescape books. Yeah, I, well, I actually, I have a I have a story for you. No. Uh, have Have you ever seen um, um, the the uh, uh, the the Neil Gaiman Neverwhere or not mm-hmm. Neverwhere? Uh, the 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 one set in the uh, London and. There's a captive angel under the city that wants to destroy the world. 
<laughs> I'm just saying. Well, well, now I'm thinking torment, but. <laughs> uh, well, and then uh, my my immediate thought is that a celestial warlock like Joan of Arc would be a perfect example. Yeah, but see, that's what that's where that's interesting, right? Because and and uh, Ishan brings up the same point. Like we already had the we already have multiple classes of you made a pact with with a deity or the agents of a deity, right? They're called clerics and paladins. Well, and paladins less so anymore, and clerics seem to be more ordained. Like the the point with Joan of Arc would be, she kind of mysteriously had it happen. She wasn't a member of the clergy. It was just something that kind of mm-hmm. happened spontaneously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just kind of thinking about it in that in that sense, um, you know, it, it's kind of one of those weird like uh, personal miracle kind of stories instead of like I've studied for a very long time to be pious kind of thing. Whereas I I went a, a different direction. I think of clerics in particular and paladins to a certain extent to be characters that are largely about their faith. You don't have to have faith to be a warlock. You you made a deal. And yeah, and in fact, many um, many warlocks don't like their patrons. Right, that's kind of a thing. So I could very yeah. I guess I guess you're right. It could be one of those situations where you know somebody was 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 you know facing down almost certain death and was like oh god if you get me out of this i'll totally serve you forever right <laughs> and god said okay cool <laughs> so i guess that's how you become a celestial warlock i think to the to the point that we're all sort of making about okay oh there's so many divine classes already um xanathar's does feel a little bit like the mad libs version of subclasses where it's mm-hmm. like all right uh, let's make sure everyone's got a storm option and that every class has a shadow option and everyone's got a divine option. Um, and if you sort of look down the list of the different subclasses, you can see where um, some of them are extremely flavorful and or or they are um, updated versions of like old archetypes that like we all know and love. But then others, you're sort of like, oh, you needed two subclasses for this book, for this class, right? Um, because a few of them, they sort of like fall flat. You're like, okay, I don't know that either of the druid builds, people are like, oh man, that, that's what I needed, you know, like right. the, the summoning druid. And, and to me, the subclasses feel very hit or miss. Like some, some are very strong or very flavorful, fl- flavorful or, um, very powerful and others are just like mechanically. Wah, wah. Yeah. And I guess I didn't find any of them to be. I didn't find anything to be so mechanically wow or boring that I wouldn't consider them. Um, but I'm also generally not – unless I've seen something at the table and it intrigues me that somebody's doing, right? I'm not usually the per- kind of person who's like, I'm going to choose my, my class based off of the cool stuff I can do. I'm going to usually choose my class based off of the story I can tell with it. Um, you know, and, and having those specific pieces, those specific classes that cover very small niches – um, I guess is one interesting way to do that. And having the more general ones works out for me okay as well in that, you know, then when I want to make something and there's no corner case to cover it, then something generic can can oftentimes suffice. Um, but yeah. yeah, I always wonder at the decision to make those weird corner cases that don't don't appeal to a huge number of people or that people weren't clamoring for. Cause I'm like, are you just going to keep doing that for, for decades and try to cover every weird corner case? Because that seems like design madness, right? Yeah. Like I, I um, 
Okay, Go sorry. You first. Oh, just, okay, very quickly. Um, <laughs> like I love new character options, you know, because like we we build a new character every episode, right? Uh, and obviously, like awesome. Um, I like to dig into these, and I want to play the Celestial Warlock because I I want cure wounds uh, on a, a short rest timer, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and like revivify on a warlock, awesome. Um, but I don't know that there is a character that I can now play with Xanathars that I couldn't have done before with careful multi-classing, mm. you know? Well, I mean, uh, one of the, the extras for all of the sort of niche cases, uh, kind of plays into conversations. I think Jeff and I have had over the years about what, what we like in different campaigns, we play or run in like i know jeff likes using demons as bad guys where i like using fey mm-hmm. well you know if i'm running a very fey themed thing pointing out to the players hey here's some fey themed classes that will help sell yourself into the fey themed game you know that that'll help mm-hmm. whereas if you're doing a much more elemental uh, theme thing and you go well here are all the elemental themed classes these will help sell you into these elemental themed right uh situations it gives a little more you know, helping the players make things to fit into the the campaign better than just sort of well i grab this random thing and you know and yeah. sometimes grabbing the random thing works but it, it's nice to have that option yeah, and that's one of those things where, um, like, if I wanted to do a campaign like that, like, I I have a hard time convincing my players to make the choices that will help build the campaign in that way. Because they want to play what they want to play. But the more of those, you know, if, I have, if I'm doing an elemental-themed campaign and I now have five or ten options for elemental-themed classes, then I guess I'm more likely to get players who are going to find something that they like within that menu, you know? So it holds a a place. Sure. So, uh, Any specific thoughts on any particular builds um, that you think are worth mentioning? I do do like the idea of the Shadow Magic Sorcerer. I know you, uh, Ishan, mentioned the idea of... um, just the everybody needs a shadow type or whatever. But when I read through the uh, Shadow Sorcerer, it, it makes me think, because I'm a, um, a fan of the realms, right? It makes me think of the the Empire of Shade, who are you know very attuned to shadow magic and whatever. And now I can start bringing in some of that in order to, to simulate those characters and whatever. So, Any other specific background or, or builds that you think are worth mentioning or discussing? I mean, I love the Zealot Barbarian. Um... Sort of like as a wild version of a paladin, and also like its capstone ability is amazing, right? If you're raging, you don't die. <laughs> Done. <laughs> and it's it's like so simple to understand, and yet it's like, oh wow, okay. I guess it's mm-hmm. worth going to fourteen. Actually, it's worth getting uh, going all the way in barbarian, right? Because then I can just be raging all the time forever right. and never and die. Never die. Right. And then you're and then you're you're the Hulk that never turns into Bruce Banner, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, you're, you're just, stuck on Sakaar. <laughs> you're the Forever Hulk, you know, <laughs> who loses himself in the anger and just lives that way. His secret is that he's always angry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, but yeah, I'll run down a couple others. Like, I find College of Swords kind of lackluster. 
Um, I don't know what you can do with swords that you couldn't have done with uh, Valor. Um, Forge Domain, I like. I think that's cool. I really like the Samurai and the Cavalier. I really don't like the Arcane Archer. Uh, Gloomstalker's awesome. Um, one Paladin I love, one Paladin I hate. Uh, <laughs> love both Warlocks, and let's be honest, the Hexblade is totally a fix for Pact of the Blade. So if you play a Blade yeah. Warlock, you have to buy this book. <laughs> right on. Ishmael, did you, uh, did you have something you were on to say? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was just going to go over uh, like a couple of the thi- the, the uh, options that I thought were interesting, like the College of Whispers. Uh, just kind of turns the concept of a bard on its head. That's the the, uh, the spy bard, right? Yes, and so it um, it kind of goes to the point that I was going to make earlier that uh, this is the book for players that the Dungeon Master's Guide is for Dungeon Masters, and because uh, it was interesting, someone had brought up the point like the Dungeon Master Guide tells you how to make a class and it gives you an example, mm. uh, whereas this just kind of gives you only examples, uh, but obviously. Um, players aren't going to look at the Unearthed Arcana articles. They're not going to look at the Dungeon Master's Guide. This is kind of like a, let's say, a template, if you will, or many templates to be like, these are options and these are possibilities. Now, run wild with that. Like, maybe you don't want to be a College of Whispers, but you can start to turn the idea of a bard uh, a little bit to suit your needs, or, you know... um, you can be a ranger that isn't just about being out in the wilderness. You can be one that is all about, um, you know, traversing the different planes. And so, it, it, to me, it's more kind of like a guidebook of these are the things that you can do. Now go forth and be uh, creative with what you do mm-hmm. uh, for players because players don't usually occupy that kind of creativity space the way the Dungeon Masters do. And to me, this felt like, uh, like this big kind of like uh, opening new possibilities for players as opposed to giving Dungeon Masters the tools that they already always knew that they had, or most of them do anyways. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that, um, first off, I, I love the, the College of Whispers just because it is a, uh, a, a decidedly different take on, on how bards are presented. Um, generally speaking, they're presented in a positive manner, and this is a very kind of insidious, uh, insidious version of mm-hmm. uh, uh, of bards. Uh, this is kind of like um, was it the Bene Gesserit that have the voice in Dune, right? <laughs> Where they could say things and 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 mess you up by just saying the right thing, mm-hmm. or um, what was it? In the comics, in the Marvel comics, it was it's uh, Nick Fury whispering into the ear of Thor, and suddenly he's unworthy and can't pick up the hammer anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and, and I like that. Um, there, there are some that thematically that I, I just didn't have an interest in. I'm sure they're fine mechanically. Um, I think, uh, like the Gloomstalker, eh. Um, yeah, whatever. Uh, it, mechanically, it's interesting, but Ishan uh, disagrees with you. That's one of the ones he loved. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he's allowed to be wrong, um, but <laughs> but no, but I, I found it uh, thematically not interesting, but mechanically, it's a it, it's quite good. Uh, I liked uh, actually 
I'm an old fan of Ebron, so seeing the Inquisitive brought in mm-hmm. was nice. Um, and I feel like and the, the Forge uh, domain cleric can can play in Eberron pretty well, too. Yeah, and so for decades, uh, I, I, I was a LARPer. Don't judge me. Um, I've been judging you for years. Everyone is. <laughs> for, for for at least ten years, I played a character that was a holy gravedigger. Uh, so the grave domain made me very happy. Um, just I liked the notion of a good guy, a, a good guy version of death. Mm. Right? Uh, they they had a, a version of that in, uh, uh, you know, uh, Critical Role. They used the the Raven Queen as as very much a good guy de- uh, death. And um, I was pleased to see that, and it's nice to see it here as well. Yeah, I remember looking at the Grave Domain Cleric pretty closely at one point and thinking to myself, you know, if I want to make the Healer Cleric now, I don't know that Life Domain is is necessarily the way to go, because the Grave Domain in many ways does, it does the same thing more interestingly. Um, you know, which is a different story. Like, the Life Domain is all about yay life, and the Grave Domain is all about, like, staving off the grave you know but at the end of the day those are both kind of the same thing sure um and and well also the grave domain is about making sure that which is dead stays dead Hmm. right uh it's very it's not it doesn't you know mechanically and thematically it doesn't feel like these are the guys who are going to be okay with undead walking around. These are the guys who are going to be like, no, no, you should be back in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I like that. Um, you know, it, and the, the notion of death is mercy mm-hmm. is, is certainly there. Um, so yeah, I like that. Um, and Cavalier was okay. Uh, Samurai was a little more interesting, but um, merely, it didn't excite me. It was mm-hmm. just, oh well, that's nice. Uh, I did like the Kinsai, um, and uh, I really didn't care for the War Wizard, just because I it it felt I know why it's there. War Wizards are a classic Forgotten Realms thing. They've had uh, other versions of the War Wizard. Mm-hmm. Does, I just think, yeah. It does feel thematically it. weird to me because, like, we have wizards and every build is based off of a school of magic, and then War Wizard comes along and is definitively not. Yeah. You know? Which, which may be a proof of concept. We can do versions of wizards that have nothing to do with school of magic. Sure. But it just didn't do anything okay. for me. Yeah, so one of the things that I found particularly interesting about the new character options and the new class builds, it wasn't actually the class builds themselves as much as I felt like all of them uh, had a little something going for them. And and if I really wanted to, like, we could spend a a five-part episode just going through every single class and and the builds that are in this book and really picking them apart and and what have you. And I know some people would love that. but we've got other things we've got to talk about and review as, as time goes on, so we probably won't. Uh, but one of the things I, I particularly liked was the little things before the classes, the, the, the smattering of random charts to, to, you know, to flesh out the, 
um, the relationship you have with your patron or the magical quirks that you've picked up through mm-hmm. through your experiences or you know all these little all those little things like I love that stuff and I love that it's there as a way of encouraging players to bring a little more interesting background to their characters it doesn't have to like i don't i don't want to go back to my my college days when i was writing up 10 to 15 page backstories with with characters like i don't need that and and i don't need to read that as a dm but a few like tags like this and and a a brief you know two minute story about your character and how all this stuff fits into it like i'm into that and then they followed up with even more of that kind of stuff um you know some more of those sort of random there's a i mean this book is just sprinkled and covered with with random charts and tables that aren't necessarily like mechanical tables it's not like a have this effect when you use the wand of wonder sort of tables it's more of a fleshing out your character and describing what happens during your downtime and and who you are and where you came from and all that kind of stuff like that stuff inspires me and and that tells stories more than some of the classes uh, and the class builds did for me what do you guys think of all that uh I think uh, overall it was fine. Uh, certainly people are going to find uh, issue with some of the stuff because it doesn't fit their particular characters in their particular game. But for the most part, I thought they were good. It is worth noting, just because I'm a nerd, that uh, the quotes at the beginning of several of the uh, um, class write-ups mm. are from char- uh, the iconic characters from 3rd edition. Mm. Oh, wow. Tordek... Mm-hmm. Ember. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Did you notice Hennet became a scion of Tiamat? When yeah. did that happen? <laughs> so yeah, that it, it 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 was just something that popped. I was like, huh. It's a Forgotten Realms is their base setting, but all of those existed in Greyhawk. In Greyhawk, and they were in a different edition, and they haven't really been revisited since. That's a, that's actually really interesting. I almost never pay any attention to those quotes. I mean, I guess I did a little bit in. The, the core books when they first came out because I noted, hey, they're all from like novels that I've read. Um, but for the most part, I don't I didn't pay attention to that. So so it's interesting that you noted that. Hmm. Um oh gosh, I was gonna um add something to that. But uh it, it to me it, it seems like the uh, the whole book, Sanathar's Guide to Everything, is really a lo- love letter to players. Um, everything's for players. Even the dungeon master section is for players. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it is everything in there, like downtime rules and you know how to make uh, magic items and so on. Like these are all things that concern players, and it's not about campaign building. It's not how about to tie knots. It's my favorite section. Yes, uh, I was going to say <laughs> uh, it's not about encounter design, but there's actually an encounter design. There is an encounter design section. So that's maybe the exception, I guess. Uh, although that does concern players because they don't want to get killed by bad encounter design. Yeah, and there's actually um, several pages dedicated not just to encounter design, but but random encounter tables. Um, which, of yeah. course, as much as I'm a fan of the random tables for inspiration in here, random encounter tables hold almost no interest for me in any in any service or capacity. Mm-hmm. And the and the random encounter tables in here are also garbage. <laughs> don't use them. Although so there's, uh, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um, notes in here to the reader saying, "Hey, there's a lot of random tables in this book. Use them if you want, but if you roll something you hate, don't use it." Right. Which I think is I think is great, right? Like um, the little tables ahead of each subclass 
Some of them are really flavorful and very interesting. Some are really dumb. Um, ignore them if you feel like it. And then I think we're about to get into the the next section, which is essentially random backstories. And mm. some of that is is awesome. Yeah, I was kind of transitioning um, into that. So let's talk about it. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, there are so many tables. Oh, God. Oh, God. Um, you can roll... Uh, you know, uh, if if you are a half orc or a half elf, uh, which of your parents is a human, or is neither of them a human? Uh, how many siblings do you have? What is their birth order? You know, are you the fourth child? Uh, how are they all alive? What are the, the relationship status with you? Uh, like every single one of these things, it's it's intense actually. Uh, mm. But I've rolled several different backstories through this already, and it goes by quickly, and it's pretty easy to like take. Um, conflicting information and figure out a way that it works together or you know you just ignore it or you say actually I want to pick off this list or come up with my own thing mm -hmm. it's a really great tool for um, a, a player who feels like okay I know three things about my character uh, but I don't I don't want to come up with the rest or like you know let's see what the dice say or especially for a GM who has like a new or like reticent player who doesn't really know what they want to play and they don't really have an idea but like they want to play in the game you're like well, all right let's let's roll them up and let's mm. see yeah, and, and, and I mean, uh, Jeremiah mentioned the idea that, like, some people are, aren't going to jive on some of the things or whatever. But but you mentioned, I think rightfully so, Ishan, that um, you don't have to, like, you don't have to even roll. Like, it could just be a list of inspiration. And I find that to be valuable um, in, a, in a lot of cases. Now, I've also seen uh, in previous editions, I've seen products that were just giant books of nothing but inspiration tables like this, right? Uh, and that gets tiresome real fast. But there's just sort of the right, you know, four or five pages of random tables here that I can I can piece together some interesting things about my character. And now I got something to, to hook onto and move forward um, without like overwhelming me with, okay, this is too much. I don't even know where to start, you know? Uh, I think the... It's of great use to people who are not used to writing their own backstories. Right. I mean, I'm somebody who is used to writing my own backstory, but but I sure. I love the idea of being able to look at a list and say, "Hey, that sounds cool. That sounds cool. I'll mash them up, and there's my backstory." Right. Having something to to get me started is is helpful. Also, it's, you, you it's great to build an NPC. Mm. Like, sure. If I'm a oh, GM, yeah. I'm like, "Oh crap! Uh, you want to know their name?" Oh, okay, well, there's a table for that, uh, and and you want to know like where they're born. All right, there's a table for that. Give me a second. Mm -hmm. I, I I Jeff, you and I both have played with people who didn't get the idea of characters having backstories. Mm -hmm. So you know, having this as a in a core book to say, no, here's a way of of doing backstories, and it doesn't take long. Here, do that. Mm -hmm. Um, is is useful for those folks. Uh. I really didn't get much use out of that section. I looked through it. It, it it's it's nice. Um, I'm running a game for a young, very young player at this point, and uh, you know he may get something out of it. But you know, for me as a player, I just you know, okay. I, I'll, I'll just go write my own backstory. But that's that's nice though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, then after that is the last of the quote race, uh, character options, right? And that's the racial feats. Uh, um, I 
I remember this being something in the in previous edition, the the introduction of racial feeds, both in third edition and fourth edition, that I was really excited about because I like the idea of having the option to make my elf more elfy and my dwarf more dwarfy and that kind of stuff. Uh, and I'm not not excited about the having the ability to do that here. I'm also not like maybe it's just because I'm jaded and I've seen it three times now. Like okay, yeah, I get it, cool. I have those options now. Bye. You know, so I didn't. I didn't like really dig into this in depth because it didn't seem as new and innovative and interesting to me as it did in the past. What What were your guys' uh, reads on the racial feats? I liked them pretty well, but I think I was in the same camp as you. It just seemed like it wasn't um, as exciting as it could have been, but. Uh, they they read to me a lot like a concession to the old Paragon race uh, levels. Mm. Uh, mm. It was like it's like you say to make an elf more elfy and orc, or rather a half orc more half orky, uh, and it gives you that option to be just a little bit more of what your race is. Uh, I think especially those players who want to be more like uh, you know uh, dark elves, like they read about in the books. Um, that one was especially to me. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, like. I've had players who wanted to be that, and they're like, well, but I can't cast all the spells that they do in the books. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, we can work with that. And usually I would homebrew something, but it's cool to see that they recognize that that's something that people would want. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how through the editions they've fought with how to figure out how to do that. Because like, in second edition and, and the books that came out during that time period, like if you were a dark elf, here's a list of just spell-like abilities you get. You know, fairy fire and levitation and all those things. And then the book's like, they stopped doing that in the books because the game changed and it was like, well, for balance reasons, we can't just give Dark Elves all these spell-like abilities uh, anymore. <laughs> anymore. And so, yeah, so then there were, you know, there were Paragon Paths or or Prestige classes you could pick up that would sort of do those kinds of things. I think in 3rd edition, there was a, a, a deal where, like, Dark Elves didn't actually have those abilities unless you were, like, somebody special from a noble house and then everybody was given, like, this house insignia that gave you those abilities. So that's really what it was all along. It was it was just the nobles that could do that and the commoners couldn't and whatever. Uh, but this feels like a really good way to to do that without messing up the balance, right? Now you can build that Dark Elf that can do those things from the old second edition days that can levitate and can can cast fairy fire and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the globe of darkness that, that Driss continues to throw out every now and then. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you can do that in a way that also fits into the balance of the game. So, I, th- I yeah, I agree. That part was, was cool. Uh, I'm opposed to racial feats on principle. Mm. Uh these like these mechanically are, are fine, and I think they're you know for the most part pretty flavorful. But all it means is, I mean, these are only for the eight PHB races, right? So, and I I just really don't see them keeping up with new races. So like Tabaxi, Lizard Folk, mm-hmm. Goliaths, Genasi, like too bad, no racial feats for you, you know? Yeah, I guess I don't have a problem with that. Like on. Like, if you want to play the tried-and-true classes, then here's a little some another extra option for you. And if you want to do something weird, like a tabaxi or an aracocra or whatever, then you already got to do the weird thing. You didn't. You don't have to... I mean, <laughs> I find I find Dragonborn weird. <laughs> well, I suppose, but they're core, you know? So they're fairly common, and they've been in the game since since day one. So they're less weird in most people's campaigns, because they're, they're around. 
Well, my sure. worry is, do you remember fourth edition? We ended up with like uh, a book just for Dragonborn, and then a book just for Tieflings, and then like it ended, and they were just like, okay, we're not going to do any more books. So it just meant Dragonborn and Tieflings had so many options. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, well, and to be fair, Dragonborn and Tiefling were not generally core options until fourth edition. So they, I, I can see their the reason why they were sort of trying to catch up with everybody else in that regard and, and giving you more of an idea of how to use them and what makes them interesting. Uh, this set of uh, racial feats kind of turned Dragonborn into uh, uh, kind of a, 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 a master race, I guess. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, the fear and AC... Mm. Uh, they certainly turn them more dragony, right? Yeah, I mean, it's like... Oh, okay. So, why would you know if I'm playing a character that isn't a heavy armor wearer? Why would I play anything else? Mm. Well, because... and 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 I I mean I don't think you're wrong because I do as much as I said I wasn't really super jazzed by the racial feats. I do remember looking at the the Dragonborn and thinking, oh well, I've never really had much interest in playing a fifth edition Dragonborn until now. But these sure. these feats add that interest, right? Because there's some. You know, being able to pull off Dragon Fear is kind of a big deal. Yeah, and I can play a. You know, here's what I would uh, I would do: I take a Dragonborn, make it a sorcerer that's a melee sorcerer, uh, give him those two feats, call it a day. Um, he's <laughs> going to be devastating in a fight, <laughs> um, and you know he'll he'll be. You know, why why did you play anything else? <laughs> okay. Uh, last thoughts on racial feats, or, or should we go ahead and start talking about DM stuff? Because we are 53 minutes into this thing, and we're only up to the, the chapter two. It is a big book. It is. A, well, and it's not It's not a big book. It's a hundred and <laughs> not even 200-page book, right? But it's, it got, a, it's dense a dense book. book. Yeah, it's a dense <laughs> yeah. book. So let's talk about the, the DM options, which... On one hand, like I feel like a lot of it is new rules options, and on the other hand, I also feel like there's a decent amount of like just clarification. Like a lot of the spell casting pieces and the, there's you know rules uh, updates for like falling and simultaneous effects and um, some of this kind of stuff that like felt like you know we've we've got a lot of questions about this on Twitter and through the sage advice and that kind of stuff. Uh, let's just let's make it official and put it in a book, you know. But yeah, then they're... they definitely. Yeah, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say they definitely seem to want to settle a lot of discussions, right? Uh, and and you're you're correct. I, I tend to follow uh, the uh, Sage Advice site that kind of aggregates a lot of the questions that are mm-hmm. asked on Twitter, and you see a lot of the same ones coming up over and over and over again, uh, much to the chagrin of the uh, developers. But I, I have to imagine that some of what's in this book is kind of to say, hey. These are the answers to your questions that you keep asking us. And just so that nobody's uh, mistaken, this is our final word on it, or at least for the time being. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and a lot of it is that. Although there are some new interesting things I found um, in, in the DM options. Uh, as much as I, th- I feel like, yes, they needed some guidance on the encounter thing, on encounter building and that kind of stuff. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. Um it doesn't matter for me. I'm not going to 
waste my time with it because I haven't been having problems just throwing together together encounters that make sense story wise and having them you know and weren't out of line for challenge rating and just calling it good, um, just off the off the cuff. But may, I've also been playing for a long time, so um, maybe that's why that happened. Um, they did toss in the adamantine the stuff. Adamant, yeah, the adamantine stuff. Uh, and, and I like the new addition for the new magic items that they brought in because a lot of them aren't, like, super broken. It's, like, weird little magic items to, to add more quirks, magical quirks to your game without, like, being, like, here's how you hit things harder, you know, to make th- just interesting little little things. I I love those, but uh, my favorite magic item in in all of D and D's history was the immovable rod. So mm-hmm. that probably says a lot. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, the uh, I I was particularly fond of the fact that they put in some clarifications on how you're actually supposed to use uh, tool proficiencies. Mm-hmm. Um and. By doing so, they also kind of give you a framework for handling non-combat uh, interactions with the rules in mm-hmm. general. Are you talking about the downtime section or the or for the tools section? The tools section. Okay, because the non the downtime section kind of does that some of that too, right? It's a lot of like they've added a lot of like here's the non-combat stuff you can do when you're not in the middle of a dungeon or whatever, and and some of that was is like okay, fine, I didn't really need help on figuring out how to carouse, right? Or how to relax uh, or attend a religious service or whatever. But, you know, scribing a scroll, selling or buying a magic item, crafting an item, these are, like, these are legitimate holes in the rules that people wanted. And I know why, I I feel like I understand why they didn't have them there because, I like, that stuff's not supposed to be common, and I get that. Um, But sometimes it feels like I want it to be a thing, too. Like, every now and then, even if it's the exception, not the rule, um, we we should craft a magic item. How do we do that? You know, how do we make scrolls or alchemical items and that kind of stuff? And this gives us some some framework for, for starting to do that. Yeah, and also, I mean, it, it's interesting. Again, I'll return to my LARP background. I know. I'm a nerd, um, but well, you're on a D and D podcast. We, I'm not worried about nerddom. Okay, <laughs> so uh, downtimes are more of a thing in LARPs than they are in tabletop games mm. because there'll be a month between a game, and so you'll be like, "Well, what are my characters doing between this game and this game?" Whereas in a tabletop game, you leave off mid combat and come back mid combat, mm. and it's not really a, as much of a thing. But there is a lot of depth that you can get out of a downtime system and they begin to approach it. I, I didn't love everything they did there. Uh, they, for instance, they've got a whole thing about complications, but it doesn't really tell you when you should be tossing those complications in. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, rarely. Oh God, because it's like roll a D eight and four of these totally screw over the activity. Like yeah. it either doesn't happen or a demon shows up or you were lied to, or you were robbed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> be like, careful with those complications. Yeah, or, or you know, okay, you you failed badly at your roll. Roll on the complications table. That makes sense, but they don't really expel that out, right? Mm-hmm. They don't do I, things with, you know, here's a bunch of things that should take you several downtime sessions, like between several different campaigns. There's not a whole lot of 
explanation of how that fits together. Although, there's downtime rules in the core books in the DMG as well, so I wonder if I cross-reference those two if it wouldn't provide a clearer picture. I didn't cross-reference them as I read this, but I wonder if I didn't go back and cross-reference those if, that, if it wouldn't fill in some of those gaps for you. There are some places where it's like, for every 10 days you spend doing this, roll on the complications table. Mm. Uh, where it's like, okay, uh, let's finish all of these things in nine days. You know? <laughs> um, and, okay, so I I agree. I really like the tool proficiencies and, and the way they've got tools and skills interacting and, you know, and not just the mechanical bits of it, but the the way that it, it takes uh, what most people sort of consider like a story ability of your character and, and really shows how you can actually use it in a way that people will notice. Uh, I like that we've got downtime activities. I don't necessarily like the way that that they are presented mm-hmm. because if you if you look at some of them, like okay, yeah, there's a high chance of not being able to succeed, or like it takes freaking forever. In in some instances, it's fine. You know, one guy crafting a suit of plate mail, yeah, it should take eight months, whatever. Right. Uh, but then it's like any character that doesn't have a great, um, I think it's persuasion check. Like, just really has a very difficult time buying any magic items whatsoever. Mm. So, all right, you better hope you've got a face in the party or that the face isn't recuperating because you want to go buy magic items. Right? Mm-hmm. But, like, the wizard is terrible at buying magic items. I don't get that. Hmm. Yeah, and that's fair. Uh, and, there, and, and, yeah, I guess as much as I'm excited about the idea of the downtime things because it gives me some seeds to play with that I didn't previously have some some skeletons that I can start building off of. Um, there, there are, and I think I, I alluded to this earlier, there's there's several that I don't, that I feel like I have more of here than I need, and there's mm. several that I feel like I, I need a lot more of it, you know, to really flesh it out and make it more useful. And some of that deals with the the purchasing, the selling, the the crafting, the that kind of stuff, so. Yeah, it, and... You know, something should be long-term goals, and you should be like, all right, uh, between those adventures, I've been working on this, you know, throughout. But the way it's framed, if it's mm-hmm. like, well, I spent, you know, 10 days, so I got these magic items. Uh, or, uh, I, you know, if I want to uh, uh, make a magic item, I need to spend 10 months. So I guess I'll spend that 10 months not uh, adventuring. No, that, that's well, not fun, for well, one thing. I mean, it's not fun in terms of the type of campaign you're used to playing, but certainly I know of many types of campaigns where there is long stretches of downtime. I mean, if you look at many you know, movies or whatever, like this is what happens between the episodes of Star Wars, where you've got two, three, four, whatever years in between. This is the sort of... Let, okay, we're going to jump to the next really interesting part of the story. Let's quickly run some downtime stuff and figure out what happened because it's it's fa- it's much faster than actually playing through those 10 months, right? Sure, so, but... So uh, I've seen I, those stories. I, I, I see where that has worked for people. I don't have a lot of downtime usually in my games, but I'm familiar with that concept. Well, I mean, uh, and also we all know because, you know, uh, we of course all love Star Wars. Anyone who doesn't is just <laughs> wrong. Um, know that there are actual stories that go on in between those movies. Mm-hmm. But the the thing I, I'm getting to is much more interesting is between adventures, all right, I'm going to do a check on this one long-term thing. All right, I've done my check. 
all right, now I go on another adventure, and then I do another check. It's a thing that I'm working on, not a single roll. I just spent the time and money. Right. That that's not as interesting as something I've been struggling on and gaining uh, special materials for, mm-hmm. and I, maybe one of my quests is to go get something to make this work. And mm-hmm. the way they have it presented doesn't really reflect that. No, but but I think it gives us the skeleton to start to be able to do some of that kind of stuff. So I'm not I'm not down on it uh, very much. I, I I enjoy what's here. So. Yeah, I, I will say from now on, if there's any downtime in games that I'm playing in, I'm just carousing. The whole time is just carousing. Because <laughs> there are carousing tables in this book. Please use them. <laughs> they have to Wait, I got married? <laughs> <laughs> they have to have made that for those people who just want to play uh, Fafra and the Great, Great Mouser. Yeah. <laughs> or like Han Solo. What sure. did I do in three years? Right. How am I still poor? <laughs> This is how <laughs> you won it all, and you lost it all. Yeah, absolutely. And there's other. I mean, and Conan follows that that mm, kind of story mm. as well. I mean, there's lots of examples of stories wherein really big, important things happen every couple of years, uh, and in the in between, you know, other stuff's got to be going on too. I hope, you know. So, uh, and then there's also, like I mentioned, there's a bunch of magic items, but they're primarily like. Um, Odd little eccentric magic items, uh, and then a, and then the book finishes with uh, well, besides the appendices, it finishes quote with spells, uh, and there's a decent number of spells in there, many of which are new, uh, and the one that I have seen discussed the most is healing spirits. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't imagine why. I'm going to turn to that page because so. it's awesome. <laughs> Tell us why it's awesome. Um. Let's see. I believe I'm going from memory here. Let me let me look it up in the meantime. Uh, its concentration lasts for a minute, and it creates a space where any creature that walks into that space gets what one d six hit points back. One d six. Yeah. Yeah. So you and your entire party can run through it once around. And and it's another d six for every level you upgrade it. So yeah, it's it's a ridiculous amount of healing for like a level two slot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I've I've seen. Uh, you know, various people uh, poking at that one. Um, Dan Dillon on uh, Twitter, actually, shortly after this came out, just was saying, "I've got an eye on you." And I have to agree. <laughs> um, it, 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 it's it's a little it's a little much. Uh, yeah, there are and, numbers. And, and Crawford, Crawford said, "You know, we are paying attention to it, and if it can, seems to be a problem, we will handle it." Yeah. So. I'm, no, and it's, gonna... one, it, it's one of those those spells where it's like, eh, I suppose it's fine uh, in as much as, like, the game tends to work pretty well if you start at full hit points or fairly regularly in, in the middle of a dungeon, you know, or in the middle of a, a, a day or whatever. The It's basically, you know, it's second level. Um, so you're going to be able to cast it fairly often uh, by higher levels, uh, and at lower levels is where it's the most powerful. Um but you know, if I if I can heal the entire party to full between encounters, you know, once or twice a day, that's not game breaking. It certainly it is a different flavor of game, and so I could definitely see a DM saying, "Yeah, we're not you don't you can't have this spell; it doesn't exist." Um, but it's not going to ruin my day. I'm going to play fiend's advocate over here, and uh, and the games that I've played uh, in between combat healing is not a huge deal most people can take short rests 
you know, mm-hmm. most people can figure their things out. Uh, really, when healing becomes uh, critical is uh, during a combat, and this isn't going to make a big difference. Um, once you're at about level, I don't know, 8 plus, uh, the healing that this provides, even if you use a higher level um, a higher level spell slot, isn't going to make or break a fight, because if you're moving away from combatants, you're taking attacks of opportunity, you're often taking more damage in a round than this would ever heal, it might... It might save the day, but that's what spells do. You know, we wouldn't com- complain about a cloud kill doing as much damage as it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's kind of the uh, the opposite side of the, the spectrum, if you will. Uh, yeah. But I'm, I can see why people might be irked by it. But what I've seen in play, what I've seen with healing, is that this isn't a game breaker. It is not going to ruin anybody's um, uh, It is balance. less of a game breaker as it is intruding upon the shtick. Of some classes. And some other spells. Like right. it, it's doing what other spells do better and cheaper. Right. I, I wouldn't even go that far. Uh, I would take a mass heal over this. I would take a, you know, um, a paladin's aura of healing over this. Uh, really, uh, again, where, where I start to see um, things like this... It, it's so situational, and mm-hmm. uh, if it's if it's mostly happening between combats, it's not. It that doesn't bother me. If it's sure. if people are really seeing it during combat, making the difference between like a uh, uh, life or death situation, then I'm gonna agree. But I uh, that's not been my experience. Yeah, no, I don't think that's that's the case at all. I don't think anybody's complaining about what, the way it would play out in combat. I think it's the in between combat piece that people are more concerned about. And again, that's I, I don't have a problem with like you're able to heal the entire party pretty much to full within within the in-between combat time every now and then. Um, that's not going to break anything for me. So, Right. I think if you're the type of person who worries about Life Cleric Goodberry, then keep your eye on Healing Spirit. Um, I know I'm probably going to try to fit it onto a Warlock who takes that new invocation where you know, you're familiar and make sure that you always get max healing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So any other thoughts on other spells? There's, there's you know, pages and pages and pages of other spells in here as well. Um, <laughs> and many of which are reprinted from, uh, from the Prince of the Apocalypse. So you have a lot of elemental things in here. But there's some other stuff too. Uh, and some of it is adding um, that flavor from things from previous editions. And some of it is, is covering some interesting things that we haven't seen yet before. So, so generally speaking, what do we think about um, other spells that are in here? We're getting some cool new ninth level spells. Hmm. Yeah. You know, um, Psychic Scream is cool. Just that if it reduces someone to zero hit points, their head explodes. <laughs> right. That said, uh, uh, was it Psychic Scream? And there were some others. Um, I mean, invulnerability, like psychic, awesome. And psychic, it, it does what it says on the box. Oh yeah, yeah. Invulnerability. You just you just can't be hurt for a while. Uh, no, Psychic Scream. Um, um, was it? Mental Prison and Mind Spike. I look at those three and I'm like, uh, are we starting to see the beginnings of psionics leaking into our magic here? Um, is this is this hints that they're thinking about psionics and we might see something in the future on that? Um, you know, because there's sort of three in relatively close proximity that are like, you know, mental attack, mental attack, mental attack. Huh, that's interesting. Well, they do have um, the mystic still out there. They do, but that's uh, still uh, unofficial. That's unearth arcana stuff, right? So, I mean, well, it's, it's I mean, official, but it's a it's play test. Sure, um, I, I I think um, 
you know, it, uh, building up uh, things related to psychic stuff is probably leading towards some future things where they will introduce the mystic and some things with psychic, mm. uh, uh, more things with psychic keywords attached to them. So having more spells that interact with those things probably has to do with that. Mm-hmm. I think it's also an indication that when we do get psionics, um, magic and psionics are not going to be transparent to each other. Like they'll basically work the same way. Psionics will be essentially casting spells, but without components. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, and that's been one of the options for psionics for several uh, editions now. That psionics is just a different kind of magic. So you know, mm-hmm. you can but just, I think you I think it's pretty clear that stuff. I think it's pretty clear that we're not going to get like. Um, Essentially the same spell, but with a PowerPoint cost and a different science-sounding name. Right. Which is what we did in second edition. Right. So, yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, um, anything else? I did like... I, I liked the multifunction spells. Mm-hmm. There are several spells that have... Here are a bunch of options you can do when you cast the spell. And I'm always intrigued by those um, for many reasons. One of which is trying to figure out how they're balancing so many different options mm-hmm. in a single spell. Um, like control wins gives you uh, lists off three, three options right there. You know, you can do gusts, you can do downdrafts, you can do updrafts uh, control flames gives you like four points of things that you can do. And that's a cantrip. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and, and we've had other spells do that in the, in the core books, but it's always interesting to see them put in some new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, ceremony. Uh, oh, I love ceremony. Yeah. yeah. It's a great oh. spell. You get like a bunch of different things you can do that are sort of broadly covered by here are some religious ceremonies that you would think that the cleric could do. Hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, we've got atonement back, you know, and it's not fifth level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That, so that's what I noticed with a lot of the spells is that they, you know, outside of the ones that were just from the elemental um, player's guide, uh, you got a lot of old mainstays that I think people had missed, like Tensor's Transformation, mm. Charm Monster was a kind of a big gap. Uh, but then you got a lot of really interesting spells that you would typically see with releases like this in older editions where uh, they're basically kind of bringing back the concept of the Swiss Army Wizard. Um, you see a lot of those spells that kind of uh, let them uh, add more proficiency bonus to skill mm-hmm. checks or mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And so you you see uh, where they're kind of giving some more options to wizards. I, I kind of took those spells that gave you more options within one spell being kind of tailor-made for sorcerers. I remember that as a sorcerer, like picking your spells was such a big deal and you always wanted the biggest bang for your buck. Mm. Uh, so that was kind of what I took out, took away from those spells. Mm. I will say the the uh, Batman Wizard is back, especially when combined <laughs> with scribing spell scrolls. Like it's three days and two hundred and fifty gold pieces to scribe a second level spell. Like you just have a bandolier of them. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why you wouldn't do that. And like, boom, there's your artificer. Uh, did you notice the tr- the training? Uh, oh the yeah, downtime action training. You spend money and time, and you get a new skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's no excuse not to know every language. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're willing to spend all the downtime, and who isn't? Languages are really the most exploitable thing in the game, <laughs> and, and and the amount of time expended isn't that bad. Yeah. So, at the, the 
there is no reason for a scholarly character to not learn all of the, the languages. Mm-hmm. And, and um, that's uh, interesting coming from the guy who was like sitting around learning stuff is not the fun part of the game. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm gonna, I'm gonna house rule it that if any of my players use that uh, training, that they're gonna have to listen to ten minutes of the South Park montage song. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, very good. Um, uh, so yeah. a couple a couple other spells I did want to point out. Um, Dance macabre is. Mm-hmm. so flavorful and awesome it's uh it's an in the moment anime dead right you puppet master some dead bodies they do stuff for you and then you know <laughs> at the end of whatever 10 minutes or something they fall back down yeah although there's some um some of the spells and dance macabre is one of those where i felt like you know this might come up with my character sometimes but this is really for me as a dm uh, you know, to have an NPC poll, you know, the the NPC who suddenly summons, you know, a, a small army of undead. Um, that's more in line with what I, how I'm, I probably envision seeing this, using this kind of thing more than the players using it. So, yeah, Or like summons a bunch of lesser demons and then, whoops, loses concentration. Right. <laughs> or, um, you know, some of the more bro- uh, broken uh, things that you could probably do. Mighty Fortress. Hmm. It, it costs 500 golds in, in material, and it lasts for seven days, mm-hmm. and you have a mighty, mighty fortress. If you do it every seven days for a year, it's permanent. But more it has a lot point, of gold, but... Not for a character of that level. I suppose. And, and not for a castle. <laughs> yeah, and not for a castle. And uh, nothing will break your uh, you know encounter quite the same way as somebody just throwing a, a castle between the bad guys <laughs> and, 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 and now it's just look I just created a castle we're good <laughs> it's like dropping a Darren's instant fortress from orbit yeah <laughs> I suppose um, I, I love the druid grove has the same mechanic um, mm-hmm. is that like a spell everyone needs to have? No, but it's really flavorful. And as a mm-hmm. druid, like, yeah, I want to make a grove and, yeah. you know, I'll cast this thing for an entire year and now, Hey, I've got a grove and it's mm-hmm. awesome. Absolutely. No, I agree. There's a lot of cool, cool options in here. And some of them are super cool for characters that, you know, someday I want to play. And some of them are cool for me as a DM to say, Hey, uh, this is the kind of thing that, you know, my villain needs to do. So, um, there's a lot there. In the same way, you know, we've mentioned uh, a lot of times that that even the DM section of this book is really um, in rules and stuff for players mostly. Uh, I'm going to say that this is this is the flip side of like the Volo's Guide to Monsters, right? The Volo's Guide to Monsters was mostly like lore and rules and mechanics and stuff to benefit the DM, with a handful mm-hmm. of like racial options. For, for to satiate players. And this kind of, I think, does the same thing in reverse, right? There's a bunch of stuff for players, even the DM section, and there's a handful of things that are going to be really useful for the DM uh, along the way as well. Uh, I, there's the two appendices uh, at this point that we can talk about. Um, one of them is just literally uh, pages and pages of random names um, organized thematically by, by race and then by, um, what is it, by, by real-world human... Um, um, region, right? There's like Arab, a couple lists of Arabic names and Egyptian names and uh, Chinese names and Celtic names, etc., 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 etc. So there's just lists and lists and lists of names if you want in, uh, inspiration for 
for character names. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on record as saying that, and most of the uh, uh, random encounter tables were the most useless, unwanted things in the book. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I have less of a problem actually with the names. It's fine. I, it doesn't. It's not taking up a ton of space, and it's it's a lot of inspiration. And I do know, um, like, I've never started a campaign where there wasn't at least one player who's like, I don't know what to name my character. I don't care. Whatever. Um, you know, so so the, that I could be like, here, here's a list. Choose a name. There, that's seven pages that could have been used for new uh, races or sub races. Yeah, but we got that in Volo's guide, you know, like a year ago. So. Sure, but I mean things like, uh, you know, like you said, the core plus one. Mm-hmm. There are oh. a number of things that are out as you know, unearthed arcana, or maybe an addition to a, a an adventure that could have gotten a, a redo here that would have been just uh, perfect for the the guy who wants the, you know, the the Genasi or something like that, uh, as part of their core plus one options there yeah uh, although a lot of those races are much more thematically tied um and that's why they're the core plus one exists is because if you're going to have those options it needs to be in service to the campaign and to the build um so i guess i guess i don't have a problem with it and i also don't play a lot of organized play so i extra don't have a problem with it because i don't care about core plus one <laughs> so that doesn't sure. affect me personally you know but but yes yeah, so it, it, it is a thing i'm gonna need to agree and disagree with both of you. I think the names are super superfluous, and it's it's eighteen pages of names, eighteen in a it's book a that's less than two hundred pages. That's a lot of names. It could have been a free PDF. Like sure. they they put Elemental Evil out for free. Uh, like it, yeah, I agree. There could have been actual content in here rather than these names. I do like the well, uh, and the random encounter tables. Uh, I also agree. They, they yeah. don't need to be in there. Um, some of the other information uh, I feel like uh, needs to be in here, but it really should have been in the DMG in the first place. Like basically how many magic items should my party have hmm. uh, over the, the course of a campaign hmm. and you know, what levels should they be and uh, how do I actually balance an encounter? Cause this is, that's basically an errata of right. like encounter building in the DMG, right. which it annoys me that now you kind of have to have this. If you're not someone like, those of us here talking who know how to balance an encounter on the fly or like can just fudge things. Right. If you're trying to play by the book because you don't really know exactly what you're doing, you, have, you bought the DMG, but it's not doing you any good. Because mm-hmm. I think pretty early on, all of us were like, wow, encounter building is garbage in 5e because it just doesn't work. Hmm. I think that's and I don't, I don't know if these work, actually. I haven't, I haven't tried to yeah. build an encounter with these numbers yet. I'm hoping that they do. I'm gonna kind of add to the uh, the chorus of people saying that the the names are probably a little bit superfluous. I mean, it's neat that they're in there, and I'm sure that there are a lot of people who will find use in them. But um, you you say you you mentioned uh, doing a free PDF. You don't even need that. There are baby name websites everywhere. Oh, and there's um, there's fantasy name generators uh, abound. You know, it's not hard to find. I, I'm just trying I to throw think- a bone to the the one random intern who put all these names together. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think it would have been more handy had they done, like I know they did, like Tiefling and Elven and or- Orcish names and so on. 
Um, that's handy. That makes sense. That's you could probably find those online, but they're they're a little bit more thematically tied. It's a little neater to have stuff like that. It's not something you can as easily find on the internet. Uh, if they would have done more things like that, I think I would have been happier with the the names provided. Maybe have racial backgrounds, uh, you know, or any number of options the of actual content would have been better than just the random list of, of, of names. I can sort of forgive some of the random encounter tables because some people aren't as good at uh, putting together, you know, what should happen. And I like those. They use those. They might just kill their players. <laughs> well, I, I like the fact that on those uh, lists, there were several story hook yes. things that were, were in there. And I was like, okay, that's nice. That, you know, it's not here are five orcs, here are five orcs and the people are running away from them. Or, you know, there was a a, a distinct attempt to put in story hooks behind those random encounters. And And it's it's similar to how they do them in the adventures, Um, you know, and yeah, it's 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 not a horrible deal. It's 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 convenient. But but yeah, the names felt like just uh, it drove me crazy because I came across that and I was like, why did you do this? (laughs) Mm hmm. And then the other appendix uh, that we we are doing appendices in reverse order apparently is the shared campaigns um, appendix where it's talking about how to how to do a shared campaign with multiple DMs sort of passing off the torch and and what have you and some sort of things to consider and all that. Although I found it very quickly turned into just sort of a here are some things to think about when running a campaign that has nothing to do with shared campaigns. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, if I understand correctly, I think it's a very odd stealth errata for Adventures League. Ah. Uh, I've, I've heard a lot of people say, like, this is going to be not only, like, new rules going forth, but also how do you integrate some of the things from Xanathar's Guide into Adventures League. I didn't pour over it very much because I had heard that somewhere. Uh, and I, I don't quote me uh, with any authority because I'm just going on hearsay. But uh, the little that I did read seemed to hold that idea up is that it, it's kind of introducing the idea of this is how you do a shared campaign, uh, you know, that being Adventures League. And, and these are some things to keep in mind for how to do that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, knowing that the whole thing... Um, comes into more clarity as to why this is there and why it exists. Although I, I, I wish I kind of wish they had been more transparent about that because they don't really mention Adventures League in the like the introduction to the section, other than to say if you want to know more about how to run a shared campaign, check out Adventures League. You know, uh, <laughs> so um, well. Uh, also, I mean, the, plenty of people do home shared campaigns. I mean, Jeff and I have done sort of that yeah, a little bit of one, yeah. Um, so it, it it's. There are plenty of people doing that. Um, so having that advice there is probably probably useful to people who you know don't have decades of experience and want to know where to start. I suppose. There's considerations. There's things to think about. Although it very quickly turns into a much more concrete sort of mechanical um, process than – I mean because – because the basic part of running a shared campaign with another DM is largely about the social contract and the and the explicit conversations that you have as as two DMs co DMs with each other about what what are you going to do and and what's okay here and what's not okay there and what's going to ruin my my storyline and what have you. 
Um, you know, and and they kind of cover that in the intro, and then it gets into a lot of nitty gritty about character creation and and uh, variant rules for for advancement and treasure tables and and stuff, um, which does not seem to be a necessary part of that unless you put it into the context of, oh, no, you're talking about, like, an Adventurer's League-style shared campaign. That's a different story. Sure. So. Yeah, the section felt to me kind of like, an, you know, it's an advertisement for Adventurer's League. Uh, the most useful part was the Code of Conduct sidebar, which, mm-hmm. honestly, shouldn't be in this section. It should be at the top of every D&D book. Yeah. <laughs> it should be like, hey, guess what? Like, don't be a terrible person to play a game with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think... if. I mean, you talk about it how it basically just felt like an advertisement for Adventures League, except they almost never mention Adventures League. So it, it feels exactly like that, except if they were going to do that, I kind of wish they'd have just been explicit about it and said, you know, here's how things are going to function in Adventures League. Come check well, it out, you know. It makes me wonder how many people are doing shared campaigns to where maybe this was something that some people asked for. I, I, I don't have experience for that. So I don't I don't know if maybe they were filling a, a need that was expressed by many other people in past yeah. surveys. Maybe, but at this point we are almost an hour and a half into this episode, and it is past my bedtime, and I record in the bedroom. So I'm sure my wife is eager to <laughs> for us to end this episode and move along. So unless you have any last thoughts on Xanathar's Guide to Everything that you would like to share, uh, my only last thoughts are that you know um, I think it's a good addition to my library. Uh, you know, we're only looking at, you know, f- what, three or four new books a year. And I think this is one that people were ready for because they wanted more options for their characters. This gives them more options for their characters. So hopefully that satiates people for a while. And I hope they don't do this kind of thing too often or else we're going to end up with a lot of glut that we don't need. So other Agreed. final thoughts. I think that uh, the, um, you know, we've talked about the various rules things on a on a, a sort of meta side or a design side it's a pretty book uh i i got the uh, only at uh, game store uh version of the cover the special edition uh, yeah the special edition uh and the the artwork inside is up to wizards usual high standard mm-hmm. uh it's got uh you know diverse representations uh, for people who are interested in knowing yes there is plenty of divorce uh uh, you know, diverse uh, male, female, various uh, r- races. It's all over the, the board there. And, uh, you know, it, it's an easy read and it's put put together well. I agree on the aesthetics of the book. Um, but when you put together um, superf- superfluous information that doesn't need to be there... Mm. Um, reprints of old information that already exists um, and hit or miss subclasses. Um, I think this Wizards could have done much better. Mm. This is, I think, for me, ranks near the bottom of the 5e books that we've gotten thus mm. far. However, having said that, we get one book a year. Like, buy this, someone in your group should buy this book because right. there's information in here that every group kind of needs to have although you, you make a point like i mean if you're only going to produce one book a year it should be better than it this. should be better than that okay i yeah. think that's fair I'm, ishmael I'm any last ahead. thoughts yes i'm going to provide the counterpoint uh this is the book uh that we've been asking for for a long time it's got mm. a bunch of options 
uh, I'm, I'm and I'm going to go go out on a limb and say no matter what they would have done with this, people would have found stuff to complain about. We're nerds. It's our it's uh, it, it is our way. Uh, but uh, this is if you are a player and you own a player's handbook, hopefully you do. Uh, and you only buy one other book, I would really make it Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Um, unless you go for, like, Sword Coast Adventures Guide. Volo's Guide isn't really meant for players, but this is what a player would want. Uh, and I, I had meant to mention it earlier, it almost is kind of in a very subtle way uh, a gateway drug to being a dungeon master. It kind mm. of introduces ideas uh, for how to be more creative, how to think about think outside the box in terms of character creation. It, it kind of uh, gets the ball rolling for a lot of odd possibilities. So um, I would really recommend it. And I thought it was a fantastic book work worth every penny um, just for any player who is interested in having more options available at the table. Very good. And with that final note of positivity, we're going to go ahead and call this episode to an end. Uh, I want to thank all of you for joining us. Ishan, where in the internet can people find you if they want to know more about Ishan? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Evil Sans Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat, and at the Total Party Thrill podcast, TotalPartyThrillCast.com, and on Twitter at TPTCast. There we go. And Jeremiah McCoy, where can people find you? Well, uh, most everything I do gets posted to JeremiahMcCoy.com, um, and of course I am on Twitter as TechNoir, uh, at TechNoir. Um, and there's a long story behind that, but, uh, yeah, I, I do YouTube, uh, things. I appear here on the pot on uh, the Tome show feed as the monster psychologist. And I, uh, uh, you know, write a lot of blog material for games, uh, on my own site. So there's stuff to look at. Very good. Very good. And Ishmael Alvarez, if people want to catch up with you, where, where can they go? Yeah, the easiest way is uh, Elven Wizard King, spelled just like it sounds, uh, on Twitter. Uh, and I also have a blog of the same name on WordPress. Uh, and then if uh, they are curious, I do produce 5th edition content for Fat Goblin Games. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is easily found on uh, RPG Now or Drive RPG. There you go. And I also want to thank, of course, our patrons from patreon.com slash the Tome Show. I want to thank everyone who shops at Amazon and DMs Guild through our affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com, where you can also find other great Tome Show shows like The Monstrous Ecologist that Jeremiah McCoy was just talking about, wherein I listen to every episode wondering if he's really going to maintain that voice through the entire thing. And he does. <laughs> if you want to reach out to me... Or the podcast in general, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com. You can call the biz line at 919-BizTome. That has been episode 294, where we rolled up a random backstory for our new Forge Domain cleric and gave the party super healing with healing spirits while fighting a random encounter and blowing on a horn of silent alarm. In this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, you don't dress up to play D&D, unless you want to, like me. You don't think we fancy, let me teach you about class. Priest, fighter, bone, catch a kick, your ass. You don't think we street, look at this table full of ice. You don't think we hard, just touch my dice. You don't think we can get it at the birds and the bees. I'm a pallet in the suits, but a thief in the shoes. My character shoots, cause they fold to the brim with maxed out sass.
Cause it's just like baseball There's no crying You wanna join in? Now you start realizing We're the cool, cool nerds Call me Neil deGrasse Tyson D to the R to the A Good S D and D The dungeon mess Sets up a scenario Then he or she asks Where would you like to go? We talk as a group Then decide together There's no winning, yo We could play forever questions or clear up all your misconceptions stay right there let me answer your questions or clear up all your misconceptions you don't dress up to play D D. you don't dress up to play D D. you don't dress up to play D D. unless you want to like me you don't dress up to play D D. you don't dress up to play D D. you don't dress up to play D D. unless you want to like me You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to Like me You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D You don't dress up to play D&D Unless you want to Like me I'm on the wall